John F. Kennedy, Mikhail Gorbachev, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. What do these world leaders have in common? They have all spoken about and pushed for a new world order. For example, the former Soviet prime minister among them once said, further global progress is now possible only through a quest for universal consensus in the movement towards a new world order. Centuries ago, the psalmist wrote about humankind's attempt to create a new world order and rule himself apart from God. He asked, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? He then said, he who sits in the heavens laughs the Lord holds them in derision. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. There's a new world coming. Hello, welcome into Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for tuning in. The rumblings about a new world order have been around for decades. So far, not much has come of it, but one day a man, or a group headed by one man, will actually pull it off. That man is none other than the Antichrist, spoken of at length in the book of Revelation. Make no mistake, a new world order and a new world leader are coming. Today, Ron takes us to Revelation chapter 13, to explain what that new world order will look like. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Revelation chapter 13 and his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth and the Return of Jesus Christ. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Antichrist and the New World Order. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can, find, who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwelt on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Well, most of you know that the Bible is made up of two testaments, the Old and the New Testament. 
And the Bible contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. What you may not know is that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is one continuous story, one continuous story written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. Uh, The only way that can happen as one continuous story is by the the miracle we call the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where, where God breathed His Word supernaturally into the hearts and minds of those who penned it. And, and God, God wrote us a book we have in our hands called the Bible. With an understanding of that, it shouldn't surprise us that the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible have a connection between the two. For example, you remember the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis? After that great flood destroyed the earth and Noah and his family were saved, they emerged from the ark and they repopulated the earth. It took some time to do so, but over time, uh, the earth was repopulated, and a group of people, the Bible says, from the east who spoke with a single language came to a place called Shinar, and they built a tower there known as the Tower of Babel. And that that was humanity's first attempt, we might say, at a new world order. And that's when the God of heaven looked down on this group of people who had built this tower, and he saw the potential for evil, and he scattered those people by confusing their languages, and they scattered to the four corners of the world, and humanity repopulated from there. Uh, We might say, again, that that was their first attempt at a new world order, but since then, Evil despots and leaders have come and gone on planet Earth, and many of them have tried to unite the peoples of the world, some with good intent, many with evil intent, and they've tried to create what we might call a a new world order. Well, fast forward from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and now John, as he gives us the the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we come to chapter 13, and he envisions a time when the world's effort to kind of incrementally and progressively get back to Babylon and get back to that forming of a new world order reaches a tipping point, a tipping point that makes it easy and almost seamless and natural for a world leader to rise up on the world stage and seize control of the world and and speak into it and develop this this new world order. John describes it this way. He says, I saw a beast rising up from the sea with ten horns and seven heads and with ten diadems on its horns and a blasphemous name on its head. What do we mean by a new world order? We we hear that term, that phraseology kicked around a lot, a new world order. What, What do we mean by that, or what do people who use that phraseology mean by it? Well, generally speaking, it's a term used to describe the uniting of the world's military, industrial, and monetary resources to secure and maintain global peace, safety, and security. And those who talk of a new world order use uh, globalist language. They they talk about uh, a world without borders, uh, countries and and, and divisions between countries being erased. They they envision uh, uniting peoples and cultures and faiths. 
And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, who, who could be against uh, uh, the uniting of the world population and the uniting of humanity until you come to realize that in order to do that, you need the strong arm of a centralized government that will tell people what to do, what to think, what to say, and when to do it all. And that's when there are some people who warn against a new world order while others are, are pushing us toward that. Now, some people say that all this discussion about a new world order is just a lot of conspiracy talk, you know, that crazy people on the right and the left they get all frothed up and they dream about, oh, the conspiracies of a new world order, until you begin to realize that almost every world leader from the beginning of the 20th century, let's go back there, has used this language and rhetoric in their political dialogue and in their leadership, starting with a madman named Adolf Hitler who said, National Socialism will use its own revolution for establishing a new world order. This was Adolf Hitler, and he was a spellbinding communicator. And people who are old enough to remember his voice said that he would start off very slow, and he would build up and build up until he, would, he just had the crowds spellbound by what he said. He had this new world order in mind. Well, you fast forward in the 20th century to the late 20th century, and the former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev spoke of a new world order in his historic address to the United Nations on December 7, 1988. The Soviet prime minister almost spoke prophetically when he said these words, further global progress is now possible only through a quest for universal consensus in the movement towards a new world order. And this kind of language has even seeped into American politics. It wasn't long after that and before a summit meeting with Gorbachev in Finland in September of 1990 that President George H.W. Bush expressed hope that, quote, the foundation for the new world order would be laid in Helsinki and that that would happen through the United Nations. And if you think about it, every president since then, Clinton, George W. Bush, and yes, even Barack Obama has used globalist language to move our thinking closer and closer to this new world order. Not always with the evil intent of Adolf Hitler, but like the frog in the kettle, we're becoming uh, more and more accepting and accustomed of the globalism of our time. John said in one of his little epistles that he wrote, you know, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, those little postcards, he says, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. And he was talking about his time. Remember, we are in the last days, the last days that began when Jesus Christ came to this earth. Whether we are in the, the final days of the last days is a whole other expression. But John, as he saw the beginning of the last days, he says the spirit of Antichrist is here. Yes, that incremental movement, that slow progression toward the unification of the world until it reaches a tipping point where it seems very normal, very natural, very seamless for some leader to step onto the world stage with evil intent like the world has never seen and seize control. John sees it in his vision as a beast rising up out of the sea, he says. And he describes him with ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on his horns and blasphemous names on its head. Uh, this is famously or infamously known 
as the Antichrist in the Bible. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world today, little a. There's coming a day when the Antichrist, capital A, 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 a political figure will rise. And it will just be normal and natural for him uh, to seize control of the world. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, Antichrist and the New World Order. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage, then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, select the Library tab to find a host of great resources at our online store. Again, that web address is somethinggoodradio.org. The Bible compares the Antichrist to a beast rising up out of the earth. What will be the nature and character of this future leader? Find out next in the rest of today's message, Antichrist and the New World Order. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Now, it's interesting in the, in the flow of our study of Revelation, Revelation talks about three different beasts, one which is the devil himself. And then when we come to Revelation chapter 13, there are two beasts mentioned, one that rises up out of the sea and another one that rises up out of the earth, uh, verse 1 and verse 11. You can compare those two. Uh, this represents the unholy trinity, we call it, uh, where the devil the Antichrist, and this third figure rising up from the earth known as the false prophet uh, form what we call the unholy trinity. They mimic the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and this one known as the Antichrist, remember anti means opposed to or instead of, this figure known as the Antichrist, this one rising up out of the sea, uh, he's opposed to everything related to Jesus Christ. Uh, but he also tries to mimic him. He, he, he is opposed to and instead of. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the, the devil's activities in the book of Revelation during the tribulation period even try to mimic the Holy Trinity, but in a very unholy kind of way. Now, John calls this figure a beast, a beast. And there's a very good reason for that. When humans try to rule themselves apart from God, we act like beasts, don't we? It happens every time. But that's not the only name given to this figure known as the Antichrist in the Bible or this world dictator, this world ruler. He is also called the man of lawlessness. He is called the abomination. Daniel refers to him as the little horn that pops up amidst the ten horns. He's the bold-faced king. He's the prince who is to come. All of these figures are referencing the same one, this one called the Antichrist, but, but none more you know, poignant than the fact that he is a beast. He is a beast because he, he seeks to rule apart from God, opposed to Jesus Christ and instead of Him, and he seeks to lead the world in that direction. Now, in the verses that I read, verses 1 to 10, and we'll, we'll, we'll focus there and we'll, we'll go to Daniel chapter 7 and also Revelation chapter 17 a little bit, but I find six kind of descriptive uh, phraseologies or words that we can build our understanding of this, this antichrist, this beast around. The first thing I would say is that the beast is worldly. What do I mean by that? He, he, he rises up as a world leader. He is very well connected to the world scene, we might say. Uh, Daniel, or John rather, says he, he rises up out of the sea. Now, the sea in the book of Revelation is always a reference to the Gentile nations. 
And this has given many Bible scholars and prophecy experts some understanding that the Antichrist, the future world dictator, will be a Gentile. Uh, the sea could also refer to the one closest to John and the people to whom he was writing. Remember, John was on the island of Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And so some people believe that the Antichrist will be a Gentile, and he might even rise up from that part of the world, from the Mediterranean part of the world. Other people believe that the Antichrist is a Jew, and they base this in part on Daniel chapter 11 and verse 37, where it makes a reference to the gods of his fathers, that he will not pay attention to the gods of his fathers. Well, if gods of his fathers refer to the Hebrew people, then yeah, maybe you could say that he was a Jew, but that's tough to connect that to the Jewish people because the Jewish people were not polytheistic people. They didn't worship many gods, plural. They worshiped one God. They were monotheistic people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, said the Shema. And so the fact that he does not pay attention to the gods of his fathers, it's a stretch to suggest that that might refer to the Jewish people. Also, it's hard to see how a Jewish antichrist would, would uh, broker treaty and peace relationships on behalf of Jews. Now, it seems more likely to come through a Gentile leader who would do this on behalf of the Jewish people. So I'm, I'm, I'm more uh, favorable to the idea that the Antichrist who rises up from the sea, from the Gentile nations, perhaps from that part of the Mediterranean world, is in fact a, a, a Gentile leader. John goes on to say in verse 2 that the beast I saw, listen to this, was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now, he's pulling this from Daniel's prophecy as well, because if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, and to understand Revelation chapter 13, again, you need Daniel 7 and Revelation 17 in mind. I won't have you turn to Daniel 7, but Daniel, in his prophecy, saw four beasts rising up in the future. A beast that looked like a lion, one that looked like a bear, another one that looked like a leopard, and a fourth beast that was different than the others, but he had ten horns. And most Bible scholars see in these four beasts four mighty world empires that started in Daniel's time and went forward, like the, the ferocious lion that the Babylonian empire was. Remember, Daniel was among the Jewish youth who were taken captive by the Babylonians into Babylonian captivity, the Jews went for 70 years. And in the midst of that captivity, as Daniel rose to power in the Babylonian government, he receives this vision and he sees the first mighty empire or beast, which is the Babylonian empire. But as all empires do, they come and they go. And what followed the ferocious lion was a, a strong, crushing, bear-like empire known as the Medes and the Persians. Read your history books. Everyone knows the Babylonians were followed by the Medes and the Persians. And when the Medes and the Persian Empire uh, fell by the wayside, what followed was a Grecian Empire that was as swift as a leopard. And so both Daniel and John see uh, the lion, the bear, the leopard. John sees it as the leopard, the bear, and the lion in reverse order because he's living at this time. Daniel was living at this time in the Babylonian Empire looking forward. John's living at this time during the time of the fourth beast that Daniel saw, which many scholars believe was the Roman Empire following the Grecian Empire. Are you with me so far? Can you take a deep breath? All right. That's a lot to digest, but that's Daniel. Now, John says he saw all of this. Uh, the beast, like a leopard, its feet were like the bear's, its mouth was like a lion. 
The fourth beast that John sees was sort of a combined combination of the three previous ones into a, a fourth beast that rises up. This fourth beast, which many scholars believe is the revival of the Roman Empire during the tribulation period, has the ferocity of the lion that came out of the Babylonian Empire, the bear-crushing uh, abilities of the Medes and the Persians that crushed their enemies, the swiftness of the Grecian Empire, all rolled into one into a revival of the Roman Empire in the, end, in the end times. Now, why do we say that? Well, this is where Revelation chapter 17 comes into play. Turn with me over there. I said uh, earlier in the series that the Bible is often its best own interpreter. Let the Scripture interpret the Scriptures. And here we have some interpretive statements that John gives us in Revelation 17 that helps clarify Revelation 13. In, in Revelation 17, John sees a mysterious woman. We'll identify her later in the series when we get to Revelation 17, but I just want to take a, a, a quick glimpse right now. He sees a mysterious woman sitting on a beast. And in verse 8, he says, the beast that you saw, listen to this, was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. And today's message, Antichrist and the New World Order, is part of Ron's series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Look for it under the library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where He shed His blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. All of us here at Something Good Radio hope you can join us on our upcoming trip to the Holy Land. Time is running out to make a reservation for Experience Israel 2022. For more information, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support from friends like you. When you give a gift today, Ron will say thanks by giving you the complete audio download of the teaching series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Request this 20-message series today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. And you can also call our offices 757-276-1099. You know that every evil despot and dictator that has ever come upon this planet has always used words, powerful, swaying, compelling rhetoric and language to sway the masses of people. Adolf Hitler was a master at this and was probably possessed by the devil. 
But can you imagine a world leader possessed by the devil like that, and even more so, perhaps even the devil himself, a, a brilliant communicator, a, a brilliant wordsmither, I and mean, people will be spellbound at his ability to communicate and his, his charismatic personality. He will use his words to sway people, but out of his mouth come haughtiness and pride and, and blasphemous names. You say, well, what is blasphemy? Well, blasphemy is not cursing. Blasphemy is when you claim to be God or to having the powers of God, when you assume authority that only God has. And this is what the devil has been wanting to do ever since the beginning of time when he rebelled against the throne of God. And in the last day, he will have his man in place to assume the authority that only God can have, and out of his mouth will come great blasphemies. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Antichrist and the New World Order. So join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.